Hey, it's Lauren Dukeman, and I'm one of the hosts of the Compel Podcast. On today's episode, we have Kirsten Kurvitz with us, who has been involved with training missionaries and is now en route to Mexico. So welcome to the Compel Podcast, how ordinary women spread the gospel story. Lauren Dukeman, and today we have with us Kirsten Kurvitz. Thanks for joining us today, Kirsten. Yeah, thanks for having me. Well, I'm excited to interview you today, Kirsten, because you and I have a lot in common. Not only are we from California and we marry Canadians, but we also both have a passion to teach and disciple women. Mm-hmm. So, and to, I think to share a little bit about yourself, I'm going to do it for you, <laughs> maybe. Um, so Kirsten and her husband, Ryan, have worked at Emanate, which is a cross-cultural training center here in Canada for about the past six years. Is that right? Yeah, that's okay. correct. And now you guys are preparing to move to Mexico at the end of the year. Yeah, it's yeah. crazy. So my first question for you, Kirsten, is how did you first hear about tribal church planning and what led you to serve with Ethnos Canada? I first heard about tribal church planning when I was a little bit older. Even though I'd gone to churches that were so passionate about missions, uh, they were mostly focused on inner city missions. And I hadn't even heard about uh, the unreached really at all until I went to a conference in Oregon And the main speaker there was this guy, a missionary with Ethnos 360, which was New Tribe's mission at the time. And he shared a combination of truth from God's word and then stories from their family's time in a tribal church plant in Papua New Guinea. So that's how I first heard about tribal church planting was from this missionary. But what really led me to serve with Ethnos Canada is basically this huge long list of me telling God no (laughs) in a lot of ways and things I wasn't going to do. And um, it's a long story, but basically God was faithful to remind me of his love for me, and he was faithful to remind me of the privilege that it is to have Mm -hmm. his word in my heart language. Yeah. Um, So I just, I heard this testimony of this man from Papua New Guinea who'd come to know the Lord only because tribal church planters came to his village and established a, a growing church there. And at the end of his testimony, he just says, I know there's so many else so many others that also don't have God's word in their language, who is going to go tell them? Hmm. So God really used that in my life to remind me that I had all of the ability to go and that uh, being a part of sharing the good news with those who don't have access to it is a good thing to invest my life in. Hmm. So his question for me, I feel like, was really would I be willing to go? Um, The only thing that really stopped me from being a part of this was my unwillingness to go. And yeah, so through that and then looking at a few different options, it really seemed clear to me that Ethnos Canada uh, was the right fit for me, not only because of their emphasis to put the gospel in their heart language, uh, but also they emphasize discipleship and they emphasize teaching the Bible as one whole story. So those are some of the core things that drew me to this organization and still reasons why we're here today. Yeah. You mentioned that they emphasize discipleship and you guys didn't go straight like to a tribal location. You guys stayed in Canada for a while first, mm-hmm. working with Eminate. Can you share a little about what who is Eminate and what they do? Right. So anyone who joins our organization uh, goes through our training process. So that we have quite a few training centers around the world in Mexico, in Brazil, in the States, and in Canada, and a few others as well. Um, But it's an 18-month to two-year training program that is 
uh, it's quite intense in how we prepare our missionaries to go because we want to give them as many tools as we can. Mm-hmm. And we like to say that we equip them as a whole family as well. So it's just 18 months of training where they learn how to be church planters in remote locations and how to start a church from scratch. They're also given tools and how to uh, how to learn a language that hasn't been written down and other complicated things like that. So a very well-rounded training center. Yeah, and you interacted with a lot of women in training too, both single and married. What are some of the challenges and fears that they are facing as they're they are in training or as they're looking ahead? That's a really good question. I think often when we think of missionaries, we think of just the man doing the hard work, but uh, we really want to equip not just the husband or the single guy, but we want to equip the single woman and we want to equip the mom and we want to equip the wife. We want to equip them as a family to go. And uh, it's nice too that I, I myself am a woman and I went through the training myself <laughs> shortly after Bible school, like so many of those that are in our training and many of the things that they've struggled with, I've noticed they're the same things that I struggled with when I was going through the training and uh, even as I worked on staff for the first few years. So I think one of the hardest things that the ladies face and that, again, I felt myself is just this challenge of knowing God's word mm-hmm. well enough to bring it to others. Uh, as an organization, we're very specific in what we do. Um, we don't just spend time on social justice type of things like caring for the poor, the orphan, and the widow. Um, even though that is that is something that we do, it's not our main goal as an organization. Our main goal is to bring the Word of God into the heart language and to communicate it as clear as we can so that they can understand what the gospel means from creation all the way to Christ yeah. and, and beyond. So it's very specific in what we do. And then to accomplish this goal, it can take a lot of time. So you have to, you first move and you have to learn the language and you might have to teach a literacy class and show them the importance of reading so that they mm-hmm. value God's word. And um, then you never know with time, you'll get sick or you have crazy weather or uh, things just take longer. And then you also have to translate. So all of these things just go to show how long the process is. It's not, it's not a quick fix type of thing. Uh, there's a lot of work. And then with all of that, you really have to know your Bible well and know who God is well. Um, So many of our students have come from Bible school and you're in this greenhouse type of environment. Mm -hmm. And if you picture a greenhouse for plants, you know that it's filled with all of the best things for growth. And very similar with the Bible school, there you had time to be in the Word of God. You had tools to study the Word just by itself, and then you had commentaries to help understand the Word better, and you're going through all of these things with like-minded people. And then as you finish, you're ready to take on the world. <laughs> but as I went through the training and continued on staff, like you just have babies, and life gets busy, and you have so many things to do, and Uh, you're trying to communicate with everybody and trying to communicate everything. And there's always something tugging at you and your to-do list can really add up. Mm -hmm. And the first thing to go can often be your study of the word. Um, You just try and steal time here and there, and you always kind of want it to be the same as it was in Bible school. Uh, But then your time in the word doesn't meet your expectations of what it was like in Bible school And then you start to really feel like, I'm not going to be a good missionary. Mm, Yeah. 
You really feel the pressure that there's people who need the gospel, and then you see your own inadequacy of being able to communicate it. How are you going to do this? How are you going to communicate the word to others when you are starting to not spend time in it yourself? So if you've ever taken a plant home from a greenhouse, it usually looks like amazing and lush and beautiful and green when you first take it home. And after a while, (laughs) it starts to get brown spots and it starts to dry up and uh, it goes through a transition time. Mm. And I think that that is what a lot of women at our training are going through after being in the greenhouse of Bible school. Now they're transitioning into being in a new role at the training center and having supporters and thinking of their next ministry, um, you often long for the growth in your relationship with God and that growing knowledge of his word that you had in the greenhouse of Bible school. And the transition can be scary, especially if you're expecting the same thing that you had when you're at Bible Mm -hmm. school. And everyone just has to come to a place where they recognize that God's given them his word and he's also given them responsibilities today that are different than when they're in Bible school. And they just have to make the choice to be obedient to knowing God today and trusting that as they continue to know him and know his word today, that he's going to be faithful to use that in whatever their next step is. Um, they, yeah, they're not just jumping straight from training to sharing the gospel in the, for the first time in a tribal church plant, like the next day. Uh, so each morsel of time that they get in his word today and the next day and the day after that is just another ounce of preparation for what lies ahead of them. So what do you think has helped them transition from that mindset? Is it just a change in thinking like, oh, this is just the reality, like I'm in a different life stage, so Bible study looks different? Or do you think they have to, or they, do they do something? Like what, how have you gotten through that transition? Yeah, I, I think I can speak for myself and a few other friends as well. I think that you really feel the drop-off from Bible mm. school. And you almost have to feel the drop-off to be wanting growth again. If that makes any sense, like that you're at this high of Bible school and then you leave and it just like pretty quickly declines your time in the word and Mm -hmm. your time spent even just studying and looking at Christian life principles. And uh, it really starts to decline. And it once it starts to decline, it can decline very fast. Mm -hmm. And then you kind of feel like it hits you that, wow, like I, sorry, I haven't spent that much time in the word and I... I want more. So I think that that's the first step is just recognizing it has changed. And then from there, just recognizing what can you do? Mm -hmm. What are you able to do? Sometimes we have moms, sometimes we have single ladies, and sometimes we have women without children. And, And so just for each of them to recognize with their families and their responsibilities at the training center, what are the things that they actually can do to be intentional with their time in the word? It doesn't have to look like Bible school. Right. Kind of like what are realistic expectations I could put on myself and exactly. living in grace as well. If I can't meet my expectations for a certain day, right. I'm realizing, okay, that's okay. I have not failed. The only person I guess I failed is myself. So I just need to change my attitude about it. Mm, right. But, well, and I don't, that, yeah. Yeah. That God's not disappointed in us. Yeah. Uh, and I think just adjusting our own expectations. You're very mm. on point with that. Um, so transitioning, you, you've gone through training, you've served on staff here in Canada. And so as you look ahead, what are you hoping to do in Mexico? You shared a little bit what your students are preparing for. Is that what you're going to do in Mexico? Yeah, that's a great question. We, we do really hope to be part of a church planting team when we're in Mexico. 
But again, it's going to be a long process till we get there. So mm-hmm. when we first move, we'll be in a city learning Mexican culture and language. And so that'll take a few years. And then after that, we also want to invest well in the local church there. Mm-hmm. We don't want to neglect that or step over that. We yeah. want to love people well in the city. And then hopefully after that, we'll move into a more remote location um, amongst the indigenous people in Mexico. Mm -hmm. And we hope to be a part of bringing the gospel to their heart language. Yeah, that's really exciting. Um, I think a lot of people are probably thinking, but Mexico is right next door. Isn't it reach? Like, why are we sending missionaries there when we could just drive over the border over the weekend? So can you share a little bit maybe about the field and what why are there still missionaries needing to go to Mexico? Yeah, that's a super good question. And I think so many people have that question, especially with Mexico, mm. uh, for all the same reasons that you said. Like, you just drive over and get a taco and drive back. Like, real taco. <laughs> <laughs> not like a Canadian taco. <laughs> no, it's not the same. Definitely not. Uh, I feel like our the listeners that know Mexican food and know Canada can relate with that. But. Yeah. Uh, it's so close and it can seem so reached on one hand because you do have so many mission trips that are going there. And, uh, at the same time, I feel like so much of that focus is on the people meeting social needs. So again, uh, helping the widow and feeding the orphan and, um, things that definitely we need to do as believers, but there's very little movement towards reaching those that are considered least reached or the indigenous people that are in Mexico. Um, so overall, Mexico is actually a pretty large country. There's 31 different states, and the Mexican government recognizes 68 languages. And then from that, there's about 350 dialects. Wow. So quite a few languages not it's not just spanish there mm-hmm. and a lot of these language groups have people that it's thousands to hundreds of thousands of people in these language groups that don't speak spanish and that don't have the gospel in their language mm-hmm. so how many people would you consider are unreached still in mexico right and unreached being really that they don't have a gospel access yeah because uh, there are still so many in the country that are unreached with the truth of the gospel Mm. but they have access to the gospel so that's a good yeah that's a good point those that are unreached without gospel access or a clear access to the gospel would be about six million people and Mm. i mean that number can fluctuate but still six million that's that's a lot of people and especially since you mentioned like they don't have access they can't like go to the city and find a bible in their language because there is none right exactly yeah that's crazy Yeah, so overall, the needs in Mexico, as far as our organization goes, as we continue to focus on the least reached and the unreached there, again, those that don't have Mm -hmm. a clear access to the gospel, overall, within our organization, we always have a need for more personnel, whether it is the church planters, so those at the forefront, or even the ones that are the support workers, the ones that run the training center in Mexico, Mm -hmm. and there's a Bible school that we have. There's always need for more personnel. Uh, So a few years ago, there's actually some issues that came up just with the country overall, and quite a few people left the field. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so now it seems like our 
those that are still there are really trying to recover still. So, so mm. many of them are wearing so many hats and trying to be a part of so many different roles because they need more people. Uh, so there's always an open job and people like we always want you to come down <laughs> and be a part of our team down there. Um, and then beyond that, on the forefront of what we do, there's about six tribal church plants that are in the works. And uh, two of them are fully staffed and they're doing really well. Mm-hmm. And it's exciting to follow. Uh, you can see some of the blogs about what's going on. Because they're the ones that had the baptisms recently, right? Exactly. That was really exciting. Yeah. And maybe we could put that in the show notes too, yeah, the, the blog for that. And just so cool to see indigenous believers and... Um, so that like those church plants are going well, but, um, out of those six church plants, there's four of them that are severely understaffed that they need more people to come in. And the ones that are there are getting tired and they need some relief work and some encouragement in what they're doing. And uh, you just see the importance of teamwork. So even though there's six church plants, that there's four of them that still need more teammates. And beyond that, we would really like to move into southern Mexico a bit more. So there's the possibility for at least five more new works within the next few years. Yeah. So within church planting needs, there is plenty of needs there as well. And uh, I think overall as a field, you can definitely look at it and say the harvest is plentiful, mm. but the workers are few. Yeah. So come to Mexico. Yeah. Come join us. And you guys might not be knowing what you specifically you're doing, but even just going and being there, I think, is, will be such an encouragement for the team there, mm-hmm. regardless if you're going to be support or existing or new work. Mm-hmm. Like that, just encouragement to see new people come. Yeah. So that's really exciting. So kind of thinking of this transition coming up, because you guys will be moving in December. Are you nervous for this? I know you've been waiting a really, really long time for this. Yeah. But what are, what are some things you're wrestling with as you are preparing to leave your home country and move your family to yeah a foreign country i think overall am i nervous yes like a little bit terrified sometimes <laughs> <laughs> um am i wrestling with things as we get re- get ready for this yes i'm definitely struggling and um i think as anyone faces transition it's normal to feel that way yeah. and um yeah we have been here for six and a half years now and to leave where we started our marriage and where mm-hmm. we had our kids and that's hard. But I think overall, it's just, it comes back to, I like comfort. I really like to be comfortable. Mm -hmm. And I don't know about you being from California as well. And then being in the cold Canadian winters, you know how it is when you, it's so cold outside and you come inside and you get on, like you take off your big old boots and you get on slippers (laughs) and you get on your pajama pants and you get your nice, like fuzzy blanket and you sit down with hot chocolate or tea and uh, so nice. I know, right? Like we love that. Like that's the picture and of just comfort. Stay in bed, not leave it. Exactly. <laughs> just no things fall. It's I know. So it's, it's beautiful and it's like warm on the inside and and that's that's the picture of comfort. I think when I think of our time here in Canada, it's mm. just that how comfortable it is. And it's really hard to get out of your bed again mm. and put on all of your snow gear and go into the harsh winter. Mm. That. That's not very fun. And I feel like we're in that transition phase of, okay, we're starting to have to get out of our bed and we have to put on our boots and we're getting ready to go into the harsh realities of the world. Um, I would definitely take comfort over being uncomfortable any day. Mm. And along with that, I also really wrestle with a fear of failure. Uh, After serving here at the training center for so long, 
we've seen a lot of missionaries come back for whatever reason, but you you really see that they carry so many burdens with them and you mm-hmm. see the hurt that they've felt and just their heart for the people and yet the harsh reality is of the world's coming against them because Satan doesn't want us to do what we're doing. He doesn't want people to know the truth. And so that can just, you see how hard this job can really be. Um, and then I look at myself as I look at these missionaries coming back from the fields and the things they've gone through. And I think, I, I can't do this. I am, I'm a terrible missionary. <laughs> like the other day, I uh, cried over an ice cream cone. <laughs> and uh, it wasn't like a good cry, like, wow, this is so beautiful and good. It was like, I did it. They got my order wrong. And so I cried about it. <laughs> and then I texted my sister-in-law and I was like, I uh, I just cried over ice cream. I am a great missionary. So that was, that was my experience with ice cream. Oh, man. Um, but I, I think all of that just shows that I just feel like a bad missionary. And then the reality is I am a bad missionary. Like I, I have this fear of those that are on the outside, kind of, that are outside the organization, that they look at us and they have a high standard for us, that we've been trained really well and that we've been in ministry now for six plus years. And um, I really fear that we're going to let them down. Mm. I'm also afraid that we're going to go and we're not going to be able to cut it and that we'll come back right away. And I think that when you walk this narrow road of serving the Lord, failure just seems to be waiting for you at every step. And along with that failure comes this fear that's just surrounding you. And I know that it's not just missionaries that feel it. I know that pastors feel it and youth leaders feel it and Christian authors feel it. Like we all, when you're trying to serve the Lord with intention, we all feel it. And as a missionary, your life is really laid out. You're just open and bare in many ways before other people, how you steward your time, what you do with your money, how you raise your kids, And then on top of that, being successful in language learning or having a successful church plant ministry, it's a lot of pressure and there's so many ways to fail. Mm -hmm. So on one hand, yeah, I'm worried about culture shock and not getting my ice cream that I really like and all these, Mm -hmm. like not being able to drink the water. There's things that I, I am worried about with this new way of living, but I think I'm most worried about being a failure as a mom or a wife or as a language student and a coworker, I really want to have others think the best of me. And I want them to think that I'm a success and look at how successful and how comfortable I am and what I'm doing. And I don't really want to see, have others to see my failures and to see my inability to cope with cockroaches and wrong ice cream (laughs) orders. Uh, But through all of that, I am really excited to see what God is going to do um, in us and through us. And I'm just really hoping to see him be able to pull us through this, even in the midst of my failure and my discomfort. Mm-hmm. And and with that, I really hope that my kids will see how much we need Jesus and how much we also depend on his grace. Like I know it's going to be uncomfortable and I know I'm going to fail. But I also know that Jesus says that we can find rest and peace in him and that he is sufficient and that he uses our failures and he uses us despite our failures. And I know that this is what he's asked of us. He's commanded the church to go and make disciples of all nations. So we just want to be obedient to what the Lord has asked, even Mm -hmm. if we don't really feel like it. Yeah. And I think that's the important part because I think our definition of success is a lot different than God's definition 
Mm-hmm. Like I think our idea of failure is like, oh man, it's something we've done. But I think for God, it'd be like, it's not like a work, but it's our obedience. Like if we're faithful to God, that's success. It doesn't matter. He doesn't care. I don't think about like, oh, go do this. And if you don't do it, that's a failure, mm-hmm. right? Right, yeah. Yeah, in that faithfulness and in the long term. It's something that we pray for often, just this longevity, not just in ministry, but in faithfulness and serving the Lord. Yeah. Like that's what we want to be, that's what we want to have long life towards is is faithful in serving him, no matter where we're at or what organization Mm -hmm. we're with, that we would be faithful to serve him. Yeah, and I think, again, like he has asked every one of us to be involved in Great Commission. So maybe he has asked you're right to go. So if he's asking us to go, man, we need to be faithful to that. Right. Yeah, it's been really great to hear you, your thoughts as you think through this next transition because I'm really excited for you guys to go because, again, you guys have been waiting for so long and you've been preparing for years and years. And I've really admired how patiently you guys have waited on the Lord and that you are resting in him. So I also know, yeah, how hard it is to leave your family and take this next step of faith and mm. obedience and move into a cross-cultural setting. And so I want to ask, like, in this time, what scriptural truths are you leaning on in this stage of your life? I think, like, can I say everything? Like yeah. The whole, the whole Bible. <laughs> I think that's what I would like to have as my answer. Yeah. I'm struggling with everything and what scriptural truths. I'm leaning on him for everything. So <laughs> I feel like that's a good balance. Uh, but, yeah, I think overall I've been looking at the Old Testament quite a bit. And mm-hmm. one of my uh, teachers from Bible school was saying, as we were getting ready to graduate and we're getting ready to go, he says, once you're out of here, come back to the Old Testament. Mm. And I didn't understand how good that was until a few years after leaving, I really did go back to the Old Testament. And I've been in it for a while and um, here and there, going between old and new, but uh, just started studying it again. And um, I feel like through looking at the Old Testament, I'm realizing that trusting God isn't really a cookie cutter process. Like, do you know what I'm, I mean by that with cookie cutter? Like, mm, I don't know. I can't think of anything right now. <laughs> like, you mean like, it turn, like for everyone, it's the same. Or, yeah. Yeah. And that like, you have this blanket statement of like, oh, I just trust God and things will be fine. Like, okay. and we kind of yeah. think that like, oh, it just looks, it'll, okay, things will be fine. So everything looks fine. Everything's going to feel yeah. fine. And, um, but looking at the Old Testament, you see how they're trusting God through things. And I think one of the stories that really stood out to me was from Judges and chapters 19 and 20. And I won't get into all of chapter 19. And I don't even really, I feel like I should tell people to read it. But on the other hand, it's such a crazy chapter. It's like, <laughs> I don't know if you're ready to read it. I don't think anyone's really ready to read it. But it is the word of God. It's in there. Mm-hmm. It's a crazy story. It basically includes gang rape and murder and this host of things that you really don't think that it should be in the Bible at all. And yet it's recorded for us. And not only that, but you you realize that it happens within an Israelite city. Hmm. So one of the cities that's supposed to be... Yikes. Yeah. That's like, this is God's like people to the world. And yet, like, this is these are the things that are happening there. And anyways, so through all of that... The rest of Israel is like, what should we do? We are, they're talking to God. They all get together and they're asking God, like, what are we supposed to do about this? And God is holy and he is faithful to who he is. And he says, this is not okay. Mm-hmm. And so he tells them, you're going to go to war against this tribe or this uh, little city from the tribe of Benjamin. And so that seems fine. But then the author includes this note that like, 
this city has a bunch of crazy warriors. So if you've ever seen like 300 or know anything <laughs> about the Spartans, like that's pretty much what this city was. Like these crazy strong warriors. And so the rest of Israel is like, <laughs> are you sure God? <laughs> and uh, he says, yes. And so you're like, okay, I'm ready for this like epic scene. And day one of battle comes and Israel goes against the men of the city and Israel's just slaughtered, mm. just massacred. Like 22,000 men die on the first day of battle. And that's not what you're really expecting. Yeah, when... didn't God tell them to go kill those people? Exactly. Okay. And you're like, okay, God's like, God's telling them go into battle. So obviously they're going to win. And they go into battle and they lose so many mm. men. So at the end of the day, they ask God again, are we supposed to do this again? Like, mm. are, can't, should we still be doing this? Are you sure, God? And God says, yes, go up again. And so at this point, as a reader, you're like, okay, I see the I see the story. I see that, okay, they had one hard day, and now they're going to go back again, and it's going to be fine. Um, they're going to win. Yay. But then you read day two of battle, and Israel gets slaughtered again. 18,000 more men oh, die. Wow. And so at this point, you're up to 40,000 men that they've lost. That is a lot. Like, that's the biggest town nearby. Like everyone would be dead. Exactly. And especially like now we have a huge population of people. But back in that day, like that was a, such a significant portion of the Israelites. And um, you can, you know that they felt so much hurt with that as well. Mm-hmm. And they f- would have felt so defeated. And so then they're asking God again, do, like, do we have to go up again? Like, are you sure God? Or can we, can we just stop actually? Can we just like not address this issue anymore and yet god is faithful and god is holy and he uh he he fights for his holiness as well even within his own people and god replies to them and he says go up again Hmm. and then this time though he says but tomorrow i'm going to give them into your hand so as a reader you think day one they went in, they lost people. Day two, they went in, they lost people. They failed. Yeah, this so, failure after failure. Mm. And day three, you know that they're going in with the promise that God's going to, like, deliver them in this battle today. Like, you mm. know that they're going to win today. So you start reading about day three, and Israel goes up again, and they fight, and they fight, and they fight. And chapter 20, verse 34 says, the battle was hard. Mm. And then the next verse says, the Lord defeated Benjamin before Israel. So I think looking at this story from the Old Testament, you just, we think that trusting God means that he's not going to ask us to do hard things, like going into battle, or that even if he asks us to do these hard things, that it won't actually be that hard, that you're not going to feel hurt and you're not going to feel loss and everything's going to feel fine because you're trusting God. We expect easy victory and easy reward without any labor. But looking at this story of Israel, we really see that God asked them to do something very hard and they felt a very real loss from the war that they went through. And they went through this for two days and then some. They lost lives and they were losing hope. And even on that third day when they were in battle, it says that the battle was hard. They had to put in the work and they still went to the war that God had in front of them. I think often like thinking about the scriptural truths that I want to lean on as we get into hard times, 
I want to look back at these stories from the Old Testament and see what did they lean on Mm. when they went into hard times? Well, they leaned into who God was and what he asked them to do. And they trusted that he was going to be faithful to his word, that he said, do this and I'm going to have victory for you. And that even through that doesn't mean that's going to be easy or that you're not going to feel hurt and you're not going to feel loss. I have to recognize that trusting God means showing up and doing what he's asked of me to do for today, all while knowing that he's good and that he is who he says he is, no matter what circumstance I'm in. Yeah. I love that because I think it's so true. Like going back to the Old Testament and seeing God's faithfulness in all these stories, like from the beginning, like seeing his faithfulness in Noah and Moses and Abraham and all these stories is so encouraging. Mm. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah. So Kirsten, you've shared about, yeah, how God asks us to do hard things as we see, especially in that passage there from Judges. And I think a lot of times when he has asked us to do something that is hard and we haven't done it well, we think we have failed. But yeah, we need, we have to go back to his word and his promises and remember who we are in Christ and that Christ is with us every step of the way. So as you guys step out in faith, as you go to Mexico, I hope that our listeners remember you guys and your family and especially the field of Mexico as you guys faithfully do what God has you to do in reaching the unreached there in Mexico. So for our listeners, you can reach out to Kirsten on her Instagram, which is at Curvitz Corner. And I'll put that in the show notes as well. So there's a plug for Kirsten there. (laughs) But yeah, thanks again, Kirsten, so much for sharing with us today. And yeah, really excited for you guys. Thanks for having me. Thanks everyone for listening in today. To learn more about Ethnos Canada's cross-cultural training program, you can visit their website at emanatetraining.ca. You can also follow us on Instagram at compelpodcast. So please subscribe and join us in this journey to see how ordinary women spread the gospel story.